0: All right, take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 5. And um, we passed out um, a kind of an outline. And we said, be sure to put it in the back of your Bible. And at the very top of it, it says Isaiah. Now, some of you may have been gone. You don't have this outline. It's two pages. At the very top, it says Isaiah. So check with Lacey at the break, and she can run some off for you over there. Uh, and Lacey do we also you're out of the room do we have some more of these yes. okay would you uh, at the break or sometime get these for the people who didn't get one okay uh, at the bottom of this two-sheeter that says Isaiah at the top we have an outline and we're going to get through about chapter 8 tonight uh, and you can let's just kind of look at this outline the very bottom of that page uh, prophecies concerning Jerusalem and Judah, chapter one through chapters thirteen, and then that breaks down to general introduction, chapters one, uh, chapter one through verse thirty-one, millennial blessings, chapter two one through four six, Israel's castigation for her sins, chapter five, the prophet's call, chapter six. Emmanuel, which means, uh, it's the name of of the Lord, actually. Uh, Emmanuel's prophecy, God is with us. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 25. And then chapter 8, prophecy of Assyrian invasion. Uh, All of chapter 8. Uh, Actually, tonight, we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to come down to about chapter 8. But three things. A continual... Uh, castigation of the Jewish people for their sins, for their sins during Isaiah's day, during his time. Then uh, the Assyrian invasion, the Assyrians would come against the northern kingdom, in fact, take the northern kingdom into captivity, but they would also bring war against even the, even the southern kingdom. And then there are some prophecies, very important prophecies, of far future like the virgin birth of Christ and so forth. And uh, I would say though overall in what we're going to look at tonight, the big issue that will keep coming up is the Assyrian invasion. Now, uh, I want you to think, again, go go to the back of your Bible and get a a map that has, the the big map that would have Babylon and so forth on it. Remember we said that we have old Babylon and uh, Abraham came from old Babylon, came down, to the, came down into the Holy Land, and God led him into the Holy Land. Then you have the Assyrians, the Assyrian invasion, and they were a tribal peoples that were in the kind of the middle of old Babylon, and they rose to power, conquered old Babylon, and then they were conquered by Neo-Babylon. So old Babylon, Assyria, new Babylon, neo-Babylon. And uh, actually, it's, it, these people just kind of keep coming and going and warfare and fighting each other and, and uh, one dominating over the other, then here comes the other one. And it can get very confusing and you have to really start stop and think. And so uh, if you've forgotten a lot of your old ancient history, some of this will kind of bore you to stiff, but it's very important because this part of the world, this Middle Eastern part of the world, was very, very important in the Old Testament. And right on up to World War One, and we pointed out that that whole area, that whole region was called Persia, or Mesopotamia, up to World War One, And then after World War One, you had the creation of Iraq and Iran out of that larger Persian area, okay? So this is a very important piece of property. And the first night, we talked about the technology of this whole area. This was a very advanced people. Uh, and we, we listed all the things that were going on in terms of technology and their inventiveness uh, and their their uh, mobilization and warfare. Uh, we talked about all that the very first night. And here God plants plan, His people, little Israel, right next door to this great mound of of the Middle Eastern area, if you will. So as we go through uh, the book of Isaiah, we're going to find out that God continues, continues to castigate the Jewish people for their sins. Now watch for their national sins and for their personal sins. And he uses the fact that they have bumped up against all of these great nations, these great powers. To witness to them because they kept trying to these powers kept trying to control the uh, the holy land because the holy land is a land bridge it's a land bridge between africa and the middle east and even over if you want to go to europe you go through from say from africa to europe you go through the land bridge of the holy land it's a land bridge about 40 miles wide uh, and the core of, uh, of ancient Israel was about 100 miles north and south and 40 miles wide that's about the, the outer perimeters of Dallas Worth. not very large now I want you to think of that, that that area today, that's the core of the Holy Land though God said prophetically in prophecy that when the kingdom is established that the core of the kingdom will go all the way over to the river Euphrates all the way over to uh, that part of the world. And then down toward Egypt, it'll be a huge, be a large kingdom area. But right now, the core is what we would call the Holy Land, Mediterranean, it's the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, that's the core. And several times of, in my trips to Israel, I literally drove through the whole entire land of Israel in one day. Got up early in the morning at 4:30 in the morning, and left out Jerusalem. Went down the hill, 1,200 feet below sea level, down to the Dead Sea, up the Jordan. Always stopped at Jericho because there you get to, uh, the Arabs had a lot of, uh, of uh, grapefruit trees and orange trees. Stop and get a big cold glass of of a grapefruit juice, and take off and go up the up the uh, Jordan Jordan River, go up to uh, 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 up to the um, Uh, past the Dead Sea up to the Sea of Galilee then over to Tel Aviv then down the coast and back to Jerusalem all in one day and you're going through layer after layer after layer after layer of history I mean just history just like a telephone directory just piled up and then over here to the left is a, is a Crusader fort. And over here to the, to the right is a British fort, uh, 1917. And now you're passing a, 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 the uh, hippodrome that the, that the Romans built at uh, the time of Christ or before the time of Christ. And you're just passing layer after layer after layer of history. And you can do that in one day. One day you can do the whole, the whole area, the core of Israel as it is, is today. it's an exciting area. It's an an incredible area. And God planted his people there. And so the the structure of what we're going to talk about tonight, a lot of it, will be the Assyrians. Now look, we think of old Babylon. Then we think of the rise of the Assyrian people. And then they'll be conquered by Neo-Babylon and then that area will be later called the, the, the Persian Empire and uh, the Greeks will control, will control it for a period. The Romans will control it for a period. Alexander the Great, uh, uh, he solidified the, the, uh, the Greek city-states into one nation. Then he came down and uh, uh, passed or went through the, uh, the, the area of, uh, of the Holy Land When he died, his empire was divided between four of his generals. And one of his generals had control of uh, the Holy Land. He went on down into, uh, Alexander the Great went on down to Egypt. Then he went east and went all the way to the Indus River, all the way to India, the border of India. He was an incredible uh, general, brilliant general. And then the Romans came along and they took over the Holy Land. Uh, And then you had the Caesars that came along all the way up to Constantine, 300 A.D. And so all this area is just seething with history. Just seething with history. God put his people there for a reason to influence the world. Now, again, tonight, I've said it two or three times already, we're going to be looking at the time of Isaiah, and we're going to look at the Assyrians. And they were some of the most cruel people who ever existed. They, they practiced blitzkrieg warfare, fast-moving chariots. When they captured people, they would blind them, put their eyes out, cut their fingers off, their noses off, and put them, make them slaves. Very cruel people, the Assyrians. So God will use the Assyrians to whip the northern kingdom, and also to a degree the southern kingdom. Now let's back up one of the notch. And if you're a note taker, you'll need to bring a notebook with you sometime as you come. I want to to mention that you have the two kings the two kings of israel the main kings daniel and solomon and when solomon dies take a note you have the civil war the split 931 BC 931 BC bang you have the split the northern kingdom by the way i'm gonna see if you can remember this now Point to you here in a minute and see if you can remember this. Now watch the split took place when now 9:31. The northern kingdom is called Israel, southern kingdom is called Judah. Okay, the southern kingdom had two uh, had uh, two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. Judah was the the main tribe, and that's the tribe of the king. The northern kingdom was ten tribes. It was the most uh, uh, sinful of the two of the two kingdoms, the most sinful, and so they went into captivity by the Assyrians in 722, 722 B.C., and that's about uh, right, on, almost 200 years after the split. So watch 931 after Solomon dies. you have David and Solomon after Solomon dies, you have the civil war split northern kingdom is the ten tribes called Israel southern kingdom is called Judah and they put along like this and by the way they go, they go to war with each other some, several times in, in history but then the northern kingdom is the most sinful and it goes into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 BC now right at a hundred years later you have New Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar will uh, take the southern kingdom into captivity to Babylon, and that takes place at 586 B.C. Well, actually, it starts that There's three different. Uh, there's three different periods in which uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes captives of the southern kingdom uh, into captivity to Babylon. The three periods are 605, 587, and 5. 5- Eighty-six, 597 and 586. 605, 597, and 586. Three times Nebuchadnezzar comes against Judah, the southern kingdom. Three times. Daniel was deported the first time when Nebuchadnezzar came at 605. That's when Daniel was taken into captivity. And his story is incredible. You need to take this commentary in some cold winter night. Uh, Dr. Benware did a great job on this commentary. Just read through it and read the story of Daniel. Daniel was a brilliant young man. And he was, uh, uh, no one was spared or used as a foreigner in the court of the Babylonians like Daniel. He was actually made a king over part of of Babylon. He was the dean, the dean of the school of astronomy and astrology. He was placed over as dean of the School of Astronomy and Astrology. Incredible personality, uh, Daniel. All right, let me just review with you now. Now think with me. Two kings, David and Solomon, kingdom split. This happened in 931. Northern kingdom's called Israel. Southern kingdom's called Judah. You have 20 kings north, 20 kings south first king of the north is Jeroboam first king of the south is Rehoboam, J comes before R Jeroboam, Rehoboam okay then you put down almost 200 years to 722 B.C the northern kingdom Israel is taken to captivity by the Assyrians and we'll, we'll uh, have this alluded to because Isaiah is around when this is happening Isaiah is around when the northern kingdom is taken. Now, uh, you know, I hope that you won't go to sleep models because we're dealing with international history at this point in the book of Isaiah. This is not devotional stuff. This is not Psalms or Proverbs. This is international history. And I think it's fascinating that God put His people in the, in the at least next door to, almost in the middle of international history. And he's virtually done that today. Israel right now. All the tension and pressure uh, in the Middle East is with little Israel and her enemies. Uh, it's happening again. Think about this. It's happening again as it was in the book in the days of Isaiah. We're back to the same thing. We have international history going on. We don't have a lot of big spiritual nuggets. What we do. I don't want I, I, I to misstate that. But the book of Isaiah is about national and international history what God did with his people with these great powers of the ancient world Okay, alright let's start at chapter 5 of Isaiah in verse 26 and by the way the Assyrians at chapter 5 26 the Assyrians came to power around 883 B.C 883 the kingdom of Assyria came to 4 in 883 B.C and look at verse 26 by the way who's in charge of history tell me who's in charge of history god's in charge of history all right verse 26 of chapter 5 of isaiah he god will also lift up a standard or a flag a flagpole to the distant nation this nation will be assyria so god hoists the flag up and God will whistle for it from the ends of the earth and behold, it will come with speed swiftly. So God, he whistles and here comes Assyria. He's, he's bringing Assyria to four the Assyrian people. No one in it is weary or stumbles. Boy, the Assyrians don't get tired. They had whole divisions of chariots which they would race across the field and anyone in their path, they would just slice up with the wheels of their chariots or with the sword. No one is weary or stumbles with these Assyrian people. None slumbers or sleeps. These are cruel, speedy folks. This is like uh, Blitzkrieg warfare that uh, Hitler uh, did. Boy, I mean, when they started moving, they started moving. And God's bringing them. God's calling them. God's bringing Assyria to four. None of these Assyrians is weary or stumbles. None slumbers or sleeps. Nor is the belt at its waist undone and then the belt around the soldier's waist cinched up his intestines and held his sword and, and his armor. So uh, he's talking about the belt now. It's, it's not undone, it doesn't have a floppy belt on. This belt is cinched up tight. These people are ready for warfare. Nor is the belt at its waist undone, nor its sandal strap broken, and these folks are out for bear. Its arrows are sharp and all bows are bent. The hoofs of its horses seem like flint. Mercy, the horses those would cut you in pieces. Um, uh, and its chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Its roaring is like a lioness, and it roars like like young lions. And it growls as it seizes the prey and carries it off with no one to deliver it. When the Assyrians get you in their mouth, you're done. You're toast. These people were cruel fighters. And that's why they were able to conquer Babylon. And now they're starting to spread out because God is pulling them out. God is going to use them as a whip and bring them forth. It growls as it seizes the prey like a, like a lion. and carries it off. No one can deliver it. It shall growl over it in the day like the roaring of the sea. If one looks to the land, behold, there's darkness and distress. Even the light is darkened by its cloud. I mean, if you look on the horizon, you see the, the dark clouds and you see here comes the Assyrians. They're divisions of chariots coming across the land and nobody can stand in their way. And God is going to use them. God is bringing them up about. Who controls the nations? God controls the nations. Who controls the armies of the world? Who controls the economy of the world? It is God. God is the one who's involved. And yet you have responsibility of the human being. I don't understand that. How can God be sovereign? I say this about every month. How can God be sovereign? He's the one calling these armies. And yet we are responsible. The Assyrians are responsible. They're responsible for their sins and yet God is sovereign. Uh, They're not coming across the plains and uh, will come down and invade the northern kingdom by accident. God will use them as a whip. God is in charge of his history. Now watch. Chapter 6 we, you can hear the brakes the squealing in chapter 6. Suddenly, Isaiah stops talking about the, the, these, the cruelty of the coming Assyrians. And he goes upstairs and talks about God. In the middle of all this, he wants us to see God. Okay. Now, in the notes we passed out a couple of weeks ago, you'll have the dates if you want to get your dates on King Uzziah. Uh, the death of King Uzziah because that's going to be in chapter 6 alright now chapter 6 we're going to have a shift and suddenly we're going to go upstairs and see God on his throne just all of a sudden Isaiah just stops and says I want to show you God Oh, well, wait a minute you're talking about the Assyrians and the sins of the Assyrians I know Isaiah says but I had a vision of the Lord and I want to write this down chapter 6 verse 1 in the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple this would be the heavenly temple the heavenly temple Uh, in a vision there is a temple in heaven it is God's throne in heaven and the train of of his robe fills that temple Now think about this: the 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 gloriousness of God in heaven. Why does Isaiah take us upstairs suddenly? Just suddenly, he comes to a screeching halt. He's talking about the Assyrians, because I think he wants to remind us that hey, down here on earth it's down and dirty, but I want to go upstairs where it's holy, and I want to show you a picture of God. Let's go upstairs and see God. Uh, He's his train fills the, the heavenly temple seraphim stand before him this is the classification of angelic beings the seraphim the em is plural and the word seraph is related to the Hebrew word for fire these are angels of judgment fire they are the seraphim they are the judging angels and they are standing the Hebrew text better says they're standing over God Now look up here here is God in his throne room here's the train of his robe that fills the whole temple and over him are these angels of judgment the seraphim standing over God now look all judgment coming to the earth is going to come from God all judgment will come from him he has judging angels the seraphim. Now, these are swift creatures. Now, all this is uh, pictorial language now. Pictorial language. Each having six wings. Boy, they can move quickly. And with two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. That is each angel. And with two, he flew. What is the covering of the face? Not fully sure, except possibly because they're in the presence of the holy God. They have to cover their face. Their angels of oh, their wings picture the fact of their swiftness. Uh, cover their feet. Each angel is covering his feet. What does this mean? Uh, not, fully understand, not fully sure. I think the covering of the face is pretty clear. They can't, they can't look at God. God is glorious. God is a, is a God of, of pure righteousness. Now these are holy angels by the way. These are not sinful angels. These are the holy angels. And remember, you have have three classifications of angels. You have the holy angels who did not fall with Satan. You have the angels who fell with Satan, and they are the demons today. They are the demons who are active with with other religions. And you have certain angels that are confined. In fact, you have four classifications of angels. Angels that are confined until a judgment falls upon them, they're not going to be released. And you have those that are confined today that will be released uh, at the the end of history. These are evil angels now, evil angels, those that are confined, but they're going to be released. All right, look at verse 3. One called out to another, these angelic beings, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the divisions of of the armies of heaven. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of the divisions of the angelic ranks? When you say Lord of Hosts, the hosts think of army divisions, <laughs> military. Uh, these are the, the 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 angels that serve God. You know we have we have two three realms. You and I are living in a physical realm. We can see the, that which is physical, but there is a spiritual realm that you and I cannot see. And more than likely, there are there can be demons in this room. They are spirit beings. There could be holy angels in this room. They're spirit beings. They're in another realm. They're in another phase. You know, I cannot see them. We can see their activity, or we can see the results of their activity. Both the holy angels, they're, they're used to protect us, and the evil angels are used to inspire the lost to do their evil deeds. And so you and cannot see them, but it's another realm, another world, if you will, another universe of the angelic beings. These are the seraphim, the judging angels that are standing over the Lord. Now look what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Some have brought out the holies three times. Maybe this is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons in the Trinity. Holy, 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 is the Lord of the divisions. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now stop right there. The whole earth is full of His glory. As you and I see the earth, and we see the trees, and we see the flowers, and we see the grass, and uh, that's a marvelous creation. And yet we don't think, when we look at the, the created world, we're limited we, we have bad eyesight we don't see the full glory in creation but it's here whether we see it or not it is here the incredibleness of creation the creation of, of you and me the creation of the animal world the creation of, of the, the physical world it's, it's, it's incredible creation is incredible the DNA that controls how you and I are, are created and born and, and how we duplicate ourselves and so forth is, is awesome Unbelievable! The whole DNA process of, of, of creation. Incredible. Well, that's the glory of God. God receives the glory for this world that runs because and operates as because He made it. And He has a purpose for this earth. And it reflects His glory whether you and I see it and understand it fully or not. It does. Verse 4. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. The hymn here would be one of the angelic beings. Who called out while the temple is filled with smoke. I trace that out, the temple filled with smoke. What does that mean? Well, uh, most scholars can't can't figure it out except they would say uh, the temple filled with smoke uh, is a reference to the presence of God. In fact, uh, look at 1 Kings 8 let back to 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10. 1 Kings 8, 10. 1 Kings 10, 8. 10. Wait a minute, what did I say? Yeah. 8, 10. 8, 10. We read this. It uh, came about when the priest came from the holy place, Uh, This is in the temple that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. The cloud of smoke filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud of the smoke for the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Look at that. The smoke represented the glory of the Lord read verse 11 again the priest could not stand to minister because of the the cloud of smoke for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the the Lord that is this this smoke this incense that was being offered and so the cloud of of incense represents the presence of God apparently the presence of God now go back to Isaiah 6 and verse 4 the temple of heaven this is verse 4 now the temple up in heaven we're talking about a heavenly temple in chapter 6 the temple in heaven is filled with smoke, or the presence of the Lord. Then I said, and by the way, everybody's heard verse 5 at missionary conferences, and it's unfortunate. <laughs> the missionaries quote verse 5, and they absolutely misquote the whole passage, and you'll see why in just a moment. But this is always brought out at a missionary conference Woe is me, for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the altar of heaven with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away, your sin is forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, who will go for us? Us, plural, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Now, missionaries love that passage. But wrong. <laughs> because the passage is not about missionary activity or spreading the gospel. It's about judgment. <laughs> it's about judgment. It's about Isaiah being used for judgment. Now, I read those two fast. Let's go back and read them a little slower. When he saw God in verse 4 and His glory, His presence... Represented by the smoke. Then Isaiah said in verse 5, Oh, oh, woe is me. The, the woe, the oh, the, the the woe is an oh. Oh. It's, it's, it's a lamenting. Oh, oh is me. I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Why is Isaiah saying this? Because in vision, he's in the presence of God. And when he saw God, he saw himself and his sinfulness in comparison to the holiness of God. I think you and I would pass out in a dead faint if we were up there comparing ourselves with the glory and the holiness of God. We are sinful. We don't think so. I don't want to say that. I want to act pious and good and all this kind of stuff. But here Isaiah the prophet saw his limitation his sinfulness his uh uh, the true nature of himself so look what he said i am ruined as i see the vision of god and compare myself i am ruined because why isaiah i'm a man of unclean lips unclean lips was isaiah a cursor why using his mouth Uh, it was unclean did he curse a lot or what was the sin of his the sin of his mouth we don't know but he's castigating his mouth and what comes out of his mouth I'm a man of unclean lips I don't have a right to open my mouth when I think of God and see God and I live among a people of unclean lips guess what the whole nation is a people of unclean lips the whole nation You know, we in this room, and I think rightly so, we bemoan what's happening in our country, but I've said this over and over again, and I I think we have a blindness. We have a blindness. We are part of the problem, too. We don't see how. We don't want to admit that. The failure of America, somewhere we play a role in this. The failure of this country. I just don't know how. Because I'm blind to my own sins and my own failures. And so it's easier for me to say, yeah, I'll tell you, it's really bad out there. But what about us? We're part of this nation. We're just not separate. We're not some little 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 black or little little glass box, you know, isolated. We somehow play a role in the failure of America. Failure of America. I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have unclean lips, Isaiah says. For my eyes, and I think here's, here's the reason, he's done some comparison, seeing God, looking at himself, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, God is king over his universe, but it's very possible that this is a reference of, of Christ the King. He saw, he saw the Lord, because God is spirit no one to seen God the book of John says no one to seen God he's the spirit so he could be looking at the second person of the trinity uh, Christ who is king and he's also the lord of the armies then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal uh, the, in, in biblical days if you had a, a bad wound they would cauterize it with fire uh, with, a, with a hot branding iron so he took a burning coal in his hands, which he'd taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth, this burning coal. Oh, boy. To cauterize the mouth, of the, 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 the sin of the mouth. So he touched my mouth with this. Behold, this has touched your lips, the angel said, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And I believe Isaiah was a was a righteous man and that he was a believer in in our terminology today, though this is Old Testament. He was a believer. And yet, he was one who had sin in his life. You and I are believers, but in our practical Christian walk, we have sin in our life. You know what I almost said? I almost said, well, we could have sin in our life. I almost said that. I we're fooling ourselves. We have sin in our life. Oh, it's not as bad as the guy next door or what we see on television. So I'm not really quite that bad. But we have sin in our life. If, if not our actions, I thought life. We have sin in our life. Now Isaiah has experienced forgiveness. He had a mouth problem. And now his mouth has been burned, judged. His mouth has been judged by this hot coal. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Ooh, the plural pronoun. Plural pronoun. Father, Son, and Spirit. The plural, plural pronoun, us. And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. The good news? No. <laughs> Judgment. Look at what he's going to tell us, people keep on listening people he's talking to the Jewish people keep on listening but do not perceive keep on lo- looking but do not understand render the hearts of this people insensitive their ears dull and their eyes dim lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed You know, God just said I'm not going to heal them I'm not going to heal them. You're going to be a, a messenger of judgment. You're not going to bring them to, to back to me. You're going to be a messenger of judgment. And I'm going to make it where they will hear, but they won't get it. They will see, but they won't understand. Their hearts will become insensitive. Now, as much as I don't want it and I'm praying like you are for some kind of turnaround the 1st of November in the elections, but we're going to be dead wrong if we say, God, just take away the bad stuff and get us back to business as usual. Instead of saying, we, me, you, and this nation needs to fall on its face before God. If we're not changed spiritually, forget putting conservatives or uh, Republicans in office, forget it. If we're not changed spiritually, forget it. It will be temporary. And we'll go right back to the way we are. And I personally think that's where we're, where we're going. As much as I want something to be different, and God is saying, hey, huh, uh, you're going this nation will be judged. But Lord, I don't want it. Well, it doesn't matter. You, you know, God, God has never come down and asked me what I want. He's never said, Couch, what do you think about this? He doesn't need my, my advice. You and I need to follow what He says, what He's doing. He doesn't follow us. We are to follow God. And uh, I'm not going to like it if there's a judgment. But does not God know what he's doing? Did he not know what he was doing with Israel? Did he not have a plan that you and I could not even possibly conceive with the nations of the world? Who's in charge? God is in charge. Look at verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? How long? How long is this going to go on? And he answered, until cities are devastated. Oh, I don't want to hear that. And without inhabitant, and houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate until I'm finished judging. I'm gonna take these two nations, the Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, I'm I'm gonna lay them low. Now, why is God going to lay them low? Because they had all the privileges, all the revelations, all the blessings and they squandered them. Why would God lay America low? Because we had all the blessings, all the benefits, all the revelations. And God will be saying enough is enough. As I understand history, there has never been a nation like America. Never. There has never been a nation. The closest one, and it's still miles behind, would be England. God blessed England for for a period. And yet, uh, England never rose to uh, to the the, the spiritual height that America did or or the goodness that America did. England had its its problems. It was split in terms of what was going on spiritually in, in, in England. And yet, God did bless England. Many missionaries went from Scotland and England Around the world, and God and God brought a lot of technology to England that benefited the entire world. And you and I are blessed by England. It was by England, and 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 the Christianity that was in England that came across the ocean and blessed us. That's how America was blessed. If you read the book. By the way, next Sunday I'm going to have everybody who's read this book and finished it. We're going to come up here and take a picture. I'm going to have shot of all of those. Who have finished this book? Very important on the history and the founding of, of this nation. All right, look at uh, look at verse twelve. The Lord will re- will uh, remove men. Actually, better reads: The Lord will remove men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and I will again be, it will again be subject to burning. Like a terebinth, a terebinth is a tree in in, in, uh, in the Holy Land, or an oak tree whose stump remains when it's felled or cut down. But the holy seed is, is its stump. Ah, when God cuts Israel down, there will still be a holy seed within it. It's going to sprout up again at some point in the future. Israel will be res- restored at some point in the future. The holy seed is in its stump. All right, now we're going to get back to... Now we're going to come back in chapter 7 to Isaiah's time. Now we're going to come back to Isaiah. Isaiah's going to come from heaven, his vision in heaven of God. Now Isaiah's going to bring us back down to earth, back down concerning the the Assyrians and uh, the nations that were surrounding the the, the Jewish people. Chapter 7, verse 1. It came about in the days of Ahaz... The son of Jotham, and you're on that sheet of paper that you have that says Isaiah. You can look and see the time of of Ahaz, King Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, king of Judah, southern kingdom, southern kingdom. That risen, the king of Aram, and Aram would be um, uh, Aram would be uh, probably Syria. It's a it's an abbreviation of, of Syria, and Pekah the son of Remala, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem as the southern kingdom to make war against it, but could not conquer it. Are there two kings that come against the southern kingdom, Judah, and the capital city is Jerusalem? Two kings, one is the name of Rizim, who is from Assyria, and Pekah, who is the king of the northern kingdom, Israel. Now, now look up here. We're going to have a pagan nation, A pagan nation, Syria, join hands with the northern kingdom, Israel, to come against little Judah, the southern kingdom. They're going to come against Jerusalem. Okay? So we have two kings joining hands one of Syria and one of the northern kingdom that will come together and that will come and invade the southern kingdom. Okay? And they're going to try to capture Jerusalem, but they can't conquer it. Look at the end of verse one they can't conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David saying the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, and by the way, Ephraim is another term for Israel, the northern kingdom. When to the house of David it was reported the Arameans have camped in the northern kingdom, Ephraim, his heart, the heart of Ahaz, uh, and the hearts of his people shook as as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. He said, oh my word. Oh my word, what's going to happen here? The northern kingdom, our own own relatives are coming against us and now here comes the the Assyrians have joined hands with them. They're coming against us and the heart of the people is shaking and and Ahaz is scared to death. Scared to death. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, get out now to meet Ahaz you and your son shear Jashub at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field now let me explain this this is kind of a strange verse God says to Isaiah I want you to go out and meet King Ahaz now look up here Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom who's coming against him the northern kingdom along with Syria trying to conquer Jerusalem and notice in verse uh, verse two again, it was reported to the house of David. Now look up here. That's the kingly house. That's the kingly house. David was the was is, is is the father of of the kings that will come all the way down to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. The house of David is the kingly house. Now what's God's instruction, Isaiah? I want you to meet the king not in his palace, not in his palace. I want you to meet King Ahaz down where the the water flows the cistern water flows out of the southern end of the city of Jerusalem I want you to meet him down there where they wash clothes the fuller's field is the place where they wash clothes out of the water that came out from underground out of the city of Jerusalem now here are all the ladies out there and they're beating the clothes and God says I want you to meet King Ahaz down there at the laundromat (laughs) The laundromat. Why the laundromat? Well, I can't prove this, but I just have a feeling because God is going to describe how the nation, the southern kingdom, is going to get cleaned up, the laundromat, by meeting and talking to Ahaz, where the water flows out from from the city of Jerusalem, the water conduit flows, and where they, they wash the clothes, the fuller's field. And say to him, verse four, take care and be calm. Have no fear, Ahaz, king Ahaz. Do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. What are the two stubs? One is Syria, and one is the southern kingdom uh, northern king uh, Israel. Don't worry about them. Have no fear about them on account of the fierce angry of Rezin and Aram and the son of, of Remaliah. Ram, because Aram with Ephraim, Ephraim's the northern kingdom, another word for the northern kingdom, and the son of Remaliah has planned evil against you, Ahaz, King Ahaz, saying, let us go up against Judah, southern kingdom, and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls, the city of Jerusalem, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. We don't know who the son of Tabeel is. He could have been uh, 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 the the sub. He was the king of this man by the name of Tabeel. We don't know who he is. Possibly he was a king of Syria or of royalty. He was of the royal family of Assyria. So here's what's going to happen. the the two kings are going to come together and say we want to put on the throne we're going to take off Ahaz off the the throne we're going to put up the son of Tabeel as king uh, here in the southern kingdom uh, in, uh, in Judah thus says the Lord God it shall not stand nor shall it come to pass now you could hear Ahaz's knees knocking and the people their knees were knocking here comes the the Syrians, and here comes the northern kingdom. They're trying to take our city. They're trying to take our land. Oh, what's going to happen? I want you to get King Ahaz. I want you to tell him it's not going to take place. What you think is going to happen is not going to take place. It's not going to take place. For the head of Aram is Damascus, Damascus, Syria. And the head of Damascus is risen. Now within 65 years, Ephraim, the northern kingdom, will be shattered, so it's no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Remlah, or Remaliah. If you will not believe, Ahaz, what I'm telling you, you surely shall not last. Now look up here. I, God, am telling you, Prophet Isaiah, that if he doesn't listen, if King Ahaz doesn't listen, it doesn't last. It's not gonna last. He's not going to last. He's got to trust me. Two cruel nations are coming against the southern kingdom the northern kingdom of the Jews and the pagans of, of Samaria, of, 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 Syria, of Syria. And you think you're going to die, uh, Ahaz? You think it's over? You think you're going to destroy the city of Jerusalem? It's not going to happen but you're going to have to believe me, God. You're going to have to believe me, Ahaz. You're going to have to trust me. All right. now what's God going to do to make sure that Ahaz says, or make sure that that God is saying, if you trust me in the bigger picture, I'm going to have the last word because I have another plan, Ahaz, another plan that you don't understand. Look at verse 10. The Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ahaz, King Ahaz, ask a sign for yourself, and the Lord your God, make that sign deep as the grave, Sheol, or high as the heaven. Now look up here. I want you to put me, God, to the test, Ahaz. I want you to put me to the test. Whatever big sign that you want for me, I want you to ask it for me, God. All right, Ahaz, Go ahead and, and ask for a big sign for me. Verse uh, verse 12, but Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I don't want to test the Lord. I, I, you know, I really think Ahaz had some doubts here whether God was going to keep His word. I don't want to test the Lord. Maybe He won't keep His word. I'm scared to test Him. I'm scared to, to ask for a big sign from God. I'm scared. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. Listen, house of David. Please notice, house of David, the kingly house, the kingly house, the kingly house. Is it too slight a thing for me to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. If you don't ask for a sign, he's going to give you a sign. What's the sign that God's going to give? Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel which means God is with us. God is with us, Emmanuel And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For behold, the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good. The land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. What did God just do? God says, Ahaz, you think that I'm through with your people. You think it's all over. You think I'm going to have this nation permanently, permanently destroyed. Well, I have my son who's going to come. And his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. And he will. The sign will be that he will be born in a most dramatic way. He will be born of a virgin. This is the prophecy of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus of Christ. All right, I want you to take some notes now. I want you to take some notes. I want you to note where it says. Um, uh, notice, by the way, who's 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 being addressed here? The house of David, the kingly line the house of david is being addressed what's the sign to the house of david what's the sign to the kingly house a virgin a virgin will bear a son and she will call his name immanuel god is with us all right i want you to take some notes notice up here on the board the hebrew word for virgin here is alma you see it on the board alma The technical word, the technical name for virgin is Bethulah, B-E-T-H-U-L-A, Bethulah. And Bethulah generally was a description of a little small girl, and she was a virgin. That's not the word used here. Bethulah is not used here. Alma is used. Now let me give you the definition or the parameters around the Hebrew word for Alma. And that's the word used here. Alma means a young girl of marriageable age. A young girl of marriageable age, probably 14, 15 to 16, of marriageable age. A young girl who wore the veil, covered her face because she could be married at that age. And so her face. Why were, the, why were the, the the unmarried girls' faces covered? So they would be whistled at by the guys. Okay, they can't see whether she's pretty or cross-eyed or what. So she wears a veil. And the word implies Alma implies she wears the veil, and she's a young girl of marriageable age, and technically she is a virgin. She's not a little bitty girl of four and five. She's a, a young teenage girl. That's all in the definition of Alma. Now, that's very important. If the prophet had used the word Bethulah, it could have been a little girl of three, four, five years of age. That's not the word used. Alma is used. Young girl wears the veil of marriageable age who technically is a virgin, okay? And she is going to conceive and have a son and his name will be God is with us. God is with us. Now I want to finish this real quick so we can take our break. So listen to me carefully and we'll speed this up. 300 years before the time of Christ. 300 years before the time of Christ. 70 rabbis got together. This is what tradition says. 70 rabbis got together and they all set different cubicles. 70 cubicles. And they translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek translated Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. The story goes, which is probably fictional at least a degree, that they did not come out of their little cubicles until they were they had unanimity on what they had translated from Hebrew to Greek, from Hebrew to Greek. this happened 300 years before the time of Christ. When they came to this word Alma right here, guess what those rabbis came up with. They came up with the Greek word Parthenon which means virgin. The Parthenon in, in Greece, Temple of the Virgins. The rabbis, 300 years before Christ, looked at this Hebrew word and they said, you know what? Its intention is virgin. She is not married. She's a Parthenay, actually, a Parthenay. A Parthenay, they translated the word Alma from Hebrew to Greek, from Alma to Parthenay. She is a virgin, and that will be the sign. So the rabbis know more than we know. And they said this word is the key word. Now also, I want you to flip over to uh, Matthew chapter. Uh, pardon me, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Because here in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, this passage is, is referred to. Luke 1, 27. And so lo and behold, what does it say? Started 26 Luke 1 26 on the sixth day the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a Parthenay a Parthenay a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David of David what's going on in Isaiah 7 to the house of David The sign will be, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And what is his name going to be? God is with us. God is with us. Do you have goosebumps on your arms? You should. God is with us. What an incredible, unbelievable prophecy. And that's the sign. Now let me give you 30 seconds. What's going on here? What's the big picture? The big picture Is that Ahaz is given assurance that God is not through with his people. At some point in the far future, and the far future, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be God is with us, and he will come into the earth. He will be sent from God. It'll be a miracle, a virgin birth. It will be the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And God is not through with the Jewish people. Don't worry about it, Ahaz. The story is not over. You think the city is going to be destroyed, it's going to be all over, but the story is not over. I'm not finished with the Jewish people. Let's stop here and take a break.